this morning. I am excited to get back into our Sermon on the Mount uh, series that we've been working through for a bit here, actually before Easter, uh, talking some about discipleship and about what it means to follow Jesus. And I've been thinking about this image uh, for quite a while now in terms of uh, being a disciple is something like being an apprentice. I have this picture here, this, these woodworking tools, and um, you know, there's you can learn woodworking, I, I think. You could probably lo- learn woodworking simply by reading books or hearing lectures on what woodworking is and lots of knowledge on how to do certain tasks. But I still think probably one of the best ways to learn um, is by working with a master, with somebody who knows what they're doing, and serving as an apprentice, where you learn by hands-on experience, by following them, doing what they do the way that they do it. This is a great image for us of being a disciple. A lot of Christianity, we know a lot about theology. We know a lot even about the Bible and about Jesus. But following him is more like the work of an apprentice, practicing what Jesus has called us to do, following him. So today we're back into this Sermon on the Mount series and talking some about what it looks like to follow him, to be a disciple. This morning we're going to start into the seventh of the You Have Heard It Said, But I Say to You Commandments. Uh, the seventh one, when Jesus says, love your enemy. Love your enemy. Now this text is, uh, fits one of the biggest issues in our society right now of loving enemies. It's a real problem. We see it all around us in the world today, not only between nations, but between people, between neighbors, between fellow, country, uh, fellow countrymen. Now see, there's always been animosity between people who look and act differently. But now there's even animosity between people who, for all intents and purposes, look the same but just happen to think differently. And there's all sorts of anger and rage between them. We see it on social media. We see it on the Internet. All of this is fueling this animosity that is fracturing our society right now. This whole thing gets me as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, asking, does Jesus have relevance here? Does Jesus have something to say about this? And as a disciple, how should we live? As followers of Jesus, how should we live? As Christians, can we have an effect? Can we actually change things? Or should we just keep our head down and hope it all blows over? Some of you might be asking these questions yourself. Some of you have been following Jesus for a long time, for years, for decades. And maybe you're questioning how effective his teaching might be in our world. Or maybe some of you might need a reminder of how we're supposed to love our enemies, how we're supposed to act as followers of Jesus. That we aren't supposed to get sucked into the ways that our world operates, hating each other. Jesus gives us our way to respond. Some of you might be new to faith. Maybe you're wondering, just what does Jesus teach? I'm not really sure. And how does he teach or what does he say? Maybe you're wondering, how does my new personal faith, this faith that I am growing, how does it have effect in the world around me? Or does it? Some of you might be here this morning and you still might be searching. You might have questions about Jesus and you're not sure what you think about him, but you're at least wondering, does what he, still, does what he taught 2,000 years ago still matter today? Does it affect us? Or is it teaching, is it just about personal salvation or does it have ramifications, implications for all of society? I think Jesus answers these questions this morning. I think we're going to see as we dig into this text that Jesus has good answers for us. So if you would, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. If it's easier for you, I also have it here inside this bulletin, inside the sermon guide here. Uh, Just uh, open it up to that. 
and follow along as we get into this passage. <clears throat> All right. So Jesus begins with this. He says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, this is kind of troubling because I wonder where people got this saying. Um, because I'll show you here in just a second, actually, that uh, it's a bit more complicated. This wasn't written anywhere just like this. The root of the saying comes from Leviticus chapter 19. Now, Leviticus 19 is a list of commands that God has given the people of Israel on how to live in the land, the new land that he had given them. Kind of a um, constitution, if you will. Here's how you are to live and treat each other. And verse 18 says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now the key part here is to love your neighbor as yourself. And actually this part is so important, so key, that when Jesus is asked what is the most important commandment of the law, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he quotes this passage right here and he says, love your neighbor as yourself. So this is a big deal. This is one of the big two when Jesus says this is one of the most important things. But by Jesus' day, this passage or this text had been corrupted. It got twisted. Okay, so let's look at this. If it were to take it right out of Leviticus, it would say, you have heard it was said, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? But by Jesus' day, they got rid of the as yourself part. Love your neighbor. Which, uh, if you look at it one way, can actually begin to water down the command. So instead of loving a neighbor as we would want to be loved, which sets a pretty clear standard, because we know how we want to be treated. It says to love your neighbor. Just love them, whatever that might be. Maybe that means like waving to them as you drive by. Uh, maybe that means sharing some salt when you need to, when they come at your door and ask. But I think Jesus means more than that. I think actually God meant more than that, to love your neighbor, not just uh, what you think would be nice or, or civil, but as yourself. The thing is, when we take out the as-yourself part, we can get all sorts of uh, interpretations of love. You know, maybe we think the very loving, the most loving thing we can do for our neighbor is not burn down the fence that they built on our property. <laughs> or the most loving thing we can do is to not yell at them when they're playing their music too loud at night. We can begin to change when it's different than we t when we take out the as-yourself part. Okay, so in Jesus' day, they took out the as yourself and they added, and hate your enemy. There's nowhere in Scripture where it says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This was added by people later. It's a human addition. Somehow, hate your enemy got in and nobody fought to take it out. And we wonder why, right? I think maybe because it makes the command easier. It's easy to love neighbors or people who are like us. People who think like us, dress like us, look like us. Those people are easy to love, easier to love. But it's our enemies, they're hard, people who don't like us. To the point that they changed this saying so much that today you get what Jesus said. In Jesus' day, it got whittled down or twisted around to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So this is the phrase that Jesus is working with, all right? Now, uh, I think part of this is human nature. Take this high command of God and water it down and make it doable for us 
as humans. Make it easier, more natural. Seems like it makes more sense, maybe less demanding. Reveals how easy it is for us to take God's good commands and change them to fit us, to twist them, to make it easier for us. John Stott, I was reading his commentary on the, on the Sermon on the Mount, and he was pointing out these details and how we, or especially how the people of Jesus' day, and how we continue to whittle away at God's command to make him easier. We omit, love your neighbor, and we omit yourself. They take that out. Don't just love them some way. We take out the yourself part. And then we add and hate your enemies. Attempt to make God's word doable, maybe even reasonable, but ultimately something that we can just do on our own strength. Okay. Then Jesus gives us this new command. So this is the command that people were kind of, it was kind of floating around in Jesus' time. This was how, this was the proverb of his day. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And then Jesus says this. He says, but I tell you, love your enemies. Again, when Jesus says, but I, and it's, in English they just say, but I tell you. But in, in the Greek it's actually, but I, I tell you. Pointing out, it's Jesus the one saying this, drawing attention to him. And we begin to see just how amazing Jesus is. That he's taking the word of God and the common knowledge of the day and reshaping it, recommanding it emphasizing more his command on how to love. So we see, we're going to catch a glimpse here of just how important Jesus is, that he's taking these commands of God and reshaping them, recasting them for the people of God. Okay. The other thing I want to point out to you is this point right here too. Uh, this you, uh, most often I think we receive the you as individually, you as individuals. And actually in the first uh, six you have heard it said, but I say to use. The first six of them, he is, the you is singular, to you individually. This last one is you plural, all of you all. Right? Maybe if we were in the South, we might say y'all. But I tell y'all, you, the church, this is what I want you to do. I want you to love your enemies. So this one isn't just to us individually, though it does have implications for us individually. This one is to us, the church, collectively. Okay. So he says, love your enemies. This is one of the most crazy, most absurd, and most powerful things that Jesus ever said. Loving our enemies doesn't make a lot of sense. And a lot of people just say, well, that's foolish. That's actually, that's stupid. That's naive to love your enemies. And yet this is what Jesus has called us to do. And we know stories, stories of people who have loved their enemies, and we've seen how God has used that to not only bring them together, but to change the world. This is powerful things. It's also terrifying because loving our enemies, we're afraid, you know, maybe they're going to keep hurting us. Or maybe we're afraid that if we love them, they'll continue to hate us. Loving enemies is not easy. And yet, I have to ask, how is our attack me, or sorry, attack you because you attack me world doing right now? How is our preemptive strike because we're afraid they might attack us world going? How is our, you called me a jerk, so I'm going to call you a jerk world going? How's that working out for humanity right now? Horribly. It's a mess. People hating each other, at each other's throat. 
keeps us stuck. Retaliation, getting back at people, it keeps us stuck. Think about how following this command to love our enemies would change things. Think for just a second how it would change things in our community with people who you maybe, maybe enemies that you have, what it might look like for you to love them. And I have to talk a little bit more about this, but I don't mean like warm, fuzzy sentiments. That's not what I'm talking about, love. I'm talking, actually, in the first century, I think when Jesus is saying love, he's saying more like serve people, like actively love them regardless of how you feel. But to care for people, maybe is a better way to say it. Think about how that might change our relationships personally. And then how that begins to ripple through a community. And then through a region and a province across a nation, around the world, if we as Christians model this and continue to lead the way in loving those who hate us. So Jesus says, but I tell you, love your enemies. And then he turns up the heat, he says, and pray for those who persecute you. Wait, what? Pray for people who are persecuting us? Things just got real. There's no more just theoretical, you know, okay, I try to be more loving. This is actual, these are practical things that we can do. Praying for those who persecute us. Praying for those who hate us. Maybe praying for those who frustrate us. So if you had any ideas of ambiguously leaving today and, yeah, sure, I'll try to love my enemies more. Uh, maybe you're thinking, like, I'll try to love my enemy by not throttling them the next time I see them. Or I'll try to love my enemy by not running them down with my car. This part that Jesus says right here wipes all that away. He says, pray for them. Pray for your enemies. Or for people who frustrate you, or people who hate you. Maybe people you don't have any issue with, but you know dislike you. Pray for them. Think about it this way, that um, we don't have to start with loving, like warm, fuzzy feelings for people. We can start by praying for them. When love feels like out of the question, like just think about that person right now who you would classify as your enemy. Maybe somebody who you who hates you or somebody who you're pretty frustrated with yourself. Maybe even, I'd hate to say it, but maybe somebody that you hate. Begin thinking about them. And Jesus is not saying here just, you know, to start with warm, fuzzy feeling towards them. You don't just turn your heart around, but actually begin praying for them. And if you're not able to pray for them, which might be a reality, Maybe you're thinking like, Jason, you know, I love what you're saying and I love Jesus. Like, he's great, but I'm just not praying for that person. I can't pray for that person. Maybe you begin with, Lord, please help me to want to pray for them. I'm not ready to pray for them, but I'm at least willing to pray that I will pray for them. So you begin somewhere. Now, I'm going to come back to this because this is the important part of praying for those who persecute us. But Jesus continues on. He says, so that you may be sons of the Father in heaven. Now, this is an Aramaic phrase. Sons means all of us. Um, in Jesus' day, they would say, uh, like sons, but he means all of us, sons and daughters, children. That we'd be children of our Father in heaven. Um, the other thing, too, that this is a kind of an Aramaic phrase. Um, and the thing I want to be careful is that we don't get hung up on the may here, that you may be sons of the Father in heaven. Because if we read this wrongly, we can see this as a conditional statement. That... Once you love your enemies, then you may be children of God. As in, as if our 
place with God depends on how well we love our enemies or depends on whether we love them or not. This is not what Jesus is saying. (laughs) He's not saying that our salvation or our place with God as children of God depends on how loving enemies. That's not what he's saying. He is saying, though, this, and I think it's important to see that in the Greek, this idea, this this is called the subjective text, uh, but you don't need to worry about that, but um, that in this case he's saying, because it's not certain, but he's saying that if you love your enemies, that you might be truly, more fully, be sons of the Father of Heaven, or children of God. So, we are children of God because of Jesus, because of his death on the cross and his resurrection and our faith into him. That's what makes us children of God. But if we will love our enemies, we will become more like him. We will become more like children of God. So that's what Jesus is encouraging us to hear, is that we would faithfully love our enemies and we will be more like God, more like his children. Okay, so let's just kind of quickly recap here. So all these parts together, first thing, Jesus commands us to do is to love our enemies. People we're frustrated with and people who are frustrated with us. Love our enemies. Okay, and here's how you do it. You begin by praying for them. You're thinking, okay, pray, okay. Love our enemies. Do it by praying for them so that you will be children of God, more fully, truly children of God. Okay? Then Jesus gets into the reasons why. says he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends his reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. God has, Jesus has given us an example of God's broad grace, how he loves people, the good and the bad, those who are righteous and follow him, and those who are unrighteous and deny him. God is still good to both. And if we start thinking too much of ourselves, Paul, in his, book, or sorry, in his letter to the church in Rome, in chapter 5, he writes that, he says this, that for if... While we, meaning the church, were God's enemies because of sin, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. That at one point, even when us, when we refused to follow God, maybe years ago, maybe decades ago for some of you, we too were enemies. And yet God still loved us and sent his son for us. Jesus' point here is that God is the ideal. God shares his love with everyone. The good, the righteous, and the unrighteous, the good and the evil. God is gracious to them. So Jesus is saying, this is our, this is our example, our ideal. Then Jesus comes at it from the other direction. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And the second part, he says, and if you greet only your brothers, uh, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? This is the human standard. This is what comes naturally to us. And it's often held up as the exception or as exceptional. But it's really just what most people do, even bad people. It's natural. It was, in Jesus' day, it was natural for tax collectors. Tax collectors were hated because they were co-opted. They worked with the enemy, the Roman army, the Roman empire, the Roman empire to oppress Israel and to collect taxes from them. So these were Jewish people who were taking taxes from their own people. And a tax collector got rich by taking not only the taxes that they needed for Rome, but taking whatever extra they could extort from their people. So tax collectors were like, like part of the mafia in Jesus' day. They were horrible people. And yet God still loves them. But the point is that Jesus is making is that even these tax collectors love people who love them. The same was for pagans. 
These were people, these were Gentiles. And see, in the Jewish world, Gentiles were viewed as people who were kind of beyond God's care, beyond God's love because they did not follow God. And Jesus is saying that even the people who don't follow God, who don't know anything about God's rules or righteousness, even they love those who love them. See, the thing is we're tempted to settle for this kind of love, loving those who love me. We're tempted to settle for that. We're even tempted to say that was exceptional. And actually maybe even pat ourselves on the back because we love people who are like us or love people who love us back. But merely loving those who love us back, it's not good enough for God's kingdom. Simply loving those who love us or who look like us, it's not good enough for God. It's not good enough for us as followers of Jesus. It falls woefully short of what God has called us to. This is not our ideal. This is not what we should be shooting for, loving others who love us. We should be shooting for God's ideal. To love those broadly, even those who hate us, even those who are good or evil, that we love them all. Which is why Jesus says this next part. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is where the whole thing ends. Now, some, I want to be, I want to cautious us here with this word perfect. You know, often in our society, perfect means without blemish, like perfect. That's the pinnacle, the, the highest point. And in English, this can give us this idea that it has to be flawless. And most of us feel like, well, perfect is out of the question because I'm not perfect and I mess up all the time. But the Greek word here I think is helpful. It's actually teleos. Um, you don't need to worry too much about that. Other than what it means is that uh, when Jesus says this, it means partly without blemish, that we do this without blemish, but also it means more that we um, like whole or complete. So think about it like this. Be complete, be whole, without blemish, therefore, as your Father, your Heavenly Father, is whole, complete, without blemish. And I think Jesus' point is that he's making here is that don't settle for the half-human way, for the human halfway of loving just people who like us or people that love us back. That's only going halfway. Actually, love people like God loves people, all people. Love even people who are enemies, people who hate us. If loving, if we love only those who love us back, we're only getting it half right. And Jesus is saying, be whole, be complete. Jesus' teaching is so important for us right now. We live in a time of increasing animosity toward one another. We're tending towards our tribes and towards our groups. Without common cause, we tend to turn on each other. Think about case in point. Think about politics right now. How divided Canada is over politics. And how social media just seems to dump fuel on the fire. People don't even know each other. People who don't have never even met personally are just tearing each other apart, saying horrible things to each other on instant or on social media. It's crazy. And you see it spill over out of the social media. You see it spill out into the streets. You say the wrong thing about a political issue or about some sort of social issue. People shout you down, start screaming at you. It's crazy. I was wondering what Jesus might say to our culture today. I wonder if he might say something like this. He might say, you've heard it said, love your enemy and hate your, or sorry, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I, I say to you, love your enemy and pray for them so that you'll be fully children of God. Doesn't your Father in heaven cause the sun to shine on the climate change denier as well as the environmentalist? 
Doesn't he send rain on, con on the conservative rural farmer as well as the liberal urban professor? If you love those who love you, what reward is that? Don't the neo-Nazis do that? And if you only greet people like you, what good is that? Don't even the radical social activists do that? Be whole. Be complete. Love the people who hate you like your Father in heaven loves the people who hate him. As Christians, we are called to love those who are like us, and we're also called to love those who are not, even those who mistreat us, even those who persecute us. Jesus' teaching is exactly what the world needs right now. The world needs Jesus' command to love our enemies. And the world needs us, the church, to model it, to lead the way, to refuse to get sucked into the arguments, the vitriolic, just garbage that happens on social media or on the internet, to be different people, to be kingdom people. Now, some of you might be asking, okay, Jason, I'm with you. I see what Jesus is saying here. I'm convinced, but where do we start? Okay, here's how we get started in loving our enemy. The first is keep growing with Jesus. Now, before you dismiss that as like, well, that's just Pollyanna, Jason. That's just what a pastor is supposed to say. I don't think so. I think this is where everything begins. That if we want to be different people, if we want to love people who are hard for us to love or who seem impossible for us to love, we have to be close with Jesus. The closer we are to Jesus, the harder it is for us to hate anybody. Or the reverse, they say it the other way around. If we find ourselves so angry and hateful towards people, then we need to start reevaluating re our relationship with Jesus. That we aren't spending enough time with him if we still find ourselves able to hate people. The first thing is get close to Jesus. The second one is this. We talked about it already, but pray for our enemies. Only the most devoted to hate could actually pray for somebody and keep hating them. If we will just pray for them, even if it's through our teeth, God will change us and we'll begin to love. And I don't necessarily mean like feel all warm and fuzzy about them, but I mean care for them and want to serve them. We will love our enemies, those who hate us. You might be asking, okay, Jason, I'll pray for them like once and see what happens. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what Jesus is saying either. The praying here is continuous. Pray for them continually. Pray for them until you feel different. Pray for them until it comes natural, until you start caring for them. Maybe then you can only pray for them like once a week or something like that, but pray for your enemies. Then there's this last part, actively love them. And maybe this comes down the road a ways, or maybe you're able to start right here. This is an act of will. You choose to love people who hate you. Now I know, I'm not, I've said it a few times, I'm not talking about warm, fuzzy feelings here. I'm talking about acts of service and blessing them. I don't think Jesus is talking about sentiment. You not feel like, you know, get to the place where you want to send them a warm Hallmark card. I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think he's saying, go show up at their house and help them with something. Do something kind to them, even though they do nothing but rude or, or mean things to you. Love your enemy. Singing something about what would happen if we did this. 
Think about what would happen if we, if just this church here, just us, committed to do this more faithfully. To love our neighbors, absolutely. And to love our enemies. Hopefully we don't have many that we feel like, oh, this is my enemy. But maybe there are more people out there who hate us, who don't like us because of who we are or because we follow Jesus. That we love them. We pray for them. Imagine what this begins to look like in our lives. Hating people is exhausting. Nursing anger and rage, it's exhausting. Bitter people are pitiful people. I pity them. If we will love our, if we will love our enemies, one, it takes a whole load. Like we don't have to start worrying about who do we glare at, who are we not talking to. All that stuff just goes out the window. Not only that, but loving our enemies is good for our society. It's good for our community around us. Not only that, it's good for us. It is way better for you to love people than it is to hate anyone. Hating people only drags you down. It grinds you down and kills you. So imagine if, what it would look like in our lives. The second is, imagine what it begin to look like in our community. If we love people who hate us, if we love our enemies. I think we're going to see more and more people who begin looking for answers because they are tired of all the hate. They begin looking for something else, hopefully finding some place where people just don't hate everybody or hate people who are different than them. And when they show up here, for the sake of God's kingdom, they have to find a church who loves people, who loves people who are like us, and who loves people who hate us. Because it will be terrible if they come here and find us hating like everyone else. I think God has positioned the church in our community, in our time, in our culture, to be a place of sanctuary. A place where people who are tired of the hate can come. And one, receive God's love and the acceptance of his church and his people. And they would be taught in a way to teach them to love their enemies. See, the thing is, Jesus' words, they're not just, you know, kind of smart things from 2,000 years ago. They have meaning and relevance in our lives right now. Jesus is calling us to love our enemies. And we do that by praying for them, by being close to Him, and by actively loving them. And then we'll be fully, totally, wholly, completely more His children. Let's just end with this this morning. Think about someone, this is, this is just reality, think about someone that you hate right now. And if there's somebody that you hate, or sorry, if there's no one that you hate, thank God. Think about somebody who hates you. Think about somebody who's frustrated with you. Think about them just for a moment. Now the church, let's pray for them. Father in heaven, Lord God, we come before you. We hear your teaching, Lord Jesus, and we trust you. Lord, we believe that the things that you have taught us here in the Sermon on the Mount, on the Sermon on the Mount, 
They're not just proverbs, food for thought. They are not high ideals that we'll never achieve, so we should not try. These are real things, real teachings that you teach us to do. Lord, as your disciples, as your apprentices, we want to follow you. And so we pray for those who are frustrating to us right now, that specific person or people. Lord, we pray for them. We pray that you would bless them. We pray that your mercy would shine on them. We pray that you'd use us to be a blessing to them, to love them in ways that are practical, that are tangible for them. Lord, for those who hate us, Lord, we pray for your blessing over them. For those who persecute us, for those who wish that they could undo Christianity, that they could erase this church, Lord, we pray for them. We pray for your blessing in their lives. We pray that you would soften their hearts and that you'd use us to be a blessing to them. Lord, help us to lead in our community. Help your church to lead around the world in loving enemies. For the sake of your kingdom. Amen.